We are in the middle of discussing the halachas of muksa. Um, we did mention that maybe we will try and start working through the halachas of the brachas, so that's a little bit, it was a request at the end of Shea last week, if we can start working through the halachas of brachas, which I'm going to try and start on that. There's a lot of work because uh, brachas is something which is extremely not black and white. It's really a, a very gray area in halacha. What's the, I mean, as I always say to everybody, what brachas do you make in sushi? I have no idea. He asked me, show me a sushi, tell me what broccoli you're making, and I'll tell you I don't know. Maybe A, you shouldn't be eating it, and B, if you have to eat it, I don't know what broccoli to make. Is the rice, look, you're already arguing about it. Is the rice the most important, or is the fish the most important? Which one's the majority? What's the majority? Is the majority rice, or the majority the, the fish inside? Let's talk about fish sushi, let's not talk about fish. Yeah, but let's talk about fish sushi for the moment. Yeah, that's real sushi. Vegetable sushi is a, vegetable sushi is a very sad relation. And I don't like sushi, as, as anybody who knows me knows. I have once attempted to try it and never again. But I don't know what broccoli to make, and, and I've asked many of them, some say this, some say that, some say the other. I don't know. I have no idea. So I only eat sushi in the middle of a meal, that's the answer to the problem. But perhaps the broccoli is very complex, but we will, Mez Hashem, uh, it's important, it is a subject which is important, and I will try to put it together as best as I can over the coming months so that we can, when we finish maybe other smoke, so we can start to begin to work through his prophets. But for the moment we're in the middle of discussing the halachas of muksa, and we discussed in the previous year just the background to muksa, the different types of muksas that we have when it comes to muksa, the, the, the six, which is really eight different types of muksa, muksa mach 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 muksa mach mach muksa which is a kadesh manakbele, it's a muksa mach mach and Muslimah Mosmit, so all the different types of Muslims, we're not going to do Chazor, because uh, it takes too much time to do Chazor, but everybody wants to, and this is on, on the show website, it will be there, or on Kaida Lashon, it will be there too. So well, that's what we began to discuss last week. What I wanted to focus on this week, or the, the few moments that we have, is to discuss the different ways of moving an object. Different ways of moving an object, and it has different connotations, how you move an object with regard to Hilkas Muksa. So you can move an object, I'm going to divide it into five categories, just for simpleness, but it's not really five categories, it's really three categories. But I'm going to divide it into five just to make life simple for us. Uh, you can move an object in its simplest form, by picking it up and moving it, or pushing it with your hand, moving it as one would normally move an object in a normal scenario, in a normal situation. You take an object, pick it up, and move it from A to B. That's a simple action of what we would call tiltal, a, sim- a simple action of moving an a, a innate object and moving it to somewhere else, wherever you want it to be, where to be, to be placed. We're not going to discuss electronics, which you can move electronically, because that has other, other issues on Shabbos other than Muksa. That's the simplest form of tiltal. There's another way of, of, being, of moving an object. It's called what we call tiltal begufoi. I can move an object by moving it with my body, not my hand in a normal manner, but moving it with my body in an unusual manner, in an unusual way. Tiltal begufoi is another way of moving an object. So, for example, I can move an object with my leg. So I have a piece of muksa on the floor, and I can, can I move it with my leg? That's another type of movement. It's not the same as moving with my hand. It's a different category of movement. It's a different style of movement. Is that the same category of ista tiltal is forbidden to move, or is it? Does it have different, different halachic connotations, which we have to see in a moment? Then we have something which is called tiltal kilachayad. Tiltal kilachayad, and I will explain to you a bit later, it's possible to have kilachayad means in an unusual way. It's possible to have tiltal kilachiyad 
to, to move an object in an unusual way, we call it the back of a hand, just because the back of a hand is an unusual way. But it's not specific to the back of the hand. It could be any unusual way. Now, you're going to look at me and say to me, if I'm going to move it with the back of my hand, then that tilt a little And you may be right, but we'll see later there's a difference between kilachiyad and tilt a So kilachiyad is to move an object in an unusual way. To move it with the back of your hand, to move it with your elbow, to move it with your nose, however you fancy moving it, in an, in an unusual way it's called tiltul kalachiyad. We then have something called tiltul minhastad. Tiltul minhastad means to, it's what we call an indirect movement, it's to an incidental movement of a muksa object through the means, by the means of another object which is permitted. So I'm going to take a muksa object and move it, not actually move the muksa object, I'm not even going to touch the muksa object, but I'm going to move it through an object which is permitted. So if I have a muksa object on a chair, I'm going to move the chair with the muksa object on it. That will be called tiltul min hatab, an, in, an indirect, incidental movement of an object, but very indirect, not a direct movement of that object. Well, it is direct because I am moving the object from A to B, but I'm moving it indirectly, if you understand what I mean. I'm moving it via another object rather than I mean the primary movement is taking place on the object one, not on the object which is muksa. That's another method of moving. Then we have something that's called neo, to shake something off. I mean, I'm not actually moving anything, I'm just shaking. So, for example, if I have a muksa on a cushion and I just tip the cushion a little bit, I haven't moved that cushion from A to B, it stays where it is, but by me tipping the cushion, I enable the muksa to fall. That's a type of moving, a, a method of moving muksa on Shabbos. Now, each one of these, not each one of these, most of these have different, are different categories of, of movement and will have different halachic parameters to them, completely different halachic parameters. We're going to start off from the easiest and move up to the more difficult, which understandably the most difficult is, can I move an object with my hand in a normal manner? And the answer to that is, that is Ilkhus Muksa, and we will discuss the parameters of moving with your hand in a normal manner, not today, in the coming of Hashem, because that has also parameters to it. But that is when we talk about tiltful muksa being also, we mean to say you cannot pick up a telephone on Shabbos with your hand and move it from A to B, because by doing that you're transgressing the drabonon of moving muksa on Shabbos. However, coming back to the other four methods of movement, some are permitted, some are permitted in certain scenarios, and some are permitted in even less scenarios than the others. And the, the most lenient is what we call tiltal bugufoy. Tiltal bugufoy, moving a, a, a muksa object with another part of your body. This is considered in the, in the, in the, in the, halal, in the words of the Mechaba, and that's how the Mishnah Baruch Haskin, absolutely fine. I can move it for the sake of needing the place where the muksa is. I can move it because I want to actually preserve the item of muksa, what we would call the tzayach makaymai, or l'tzayach, the actual item, to preserve the item itself, for the tzayach dovah ha'asot. So I'm removing it because I want to preserve, I want to look after, I want to make sure that that dovah ha'asot is not going to get damaged in any way whatsoever. Tiltul b'gufoy is permitted according to the Mechaber, and that's how the Mishra Rupaskin. So, for example, so you're walking along in your house, and you see on the floor a 50 pence piece. A 50 pence piece is a very, very serious business. 50 pence piece on the floor is a lot of money. You can buy one lucky tuppy with 50 pence piece. Maybe they don't exist anymore, lucky tuppies, I don't know. But it's, it's a lot of money, so you don't want to leave it there. Because if you leave it there, then somebody might come and kick it in the wrong direction. It'll go under the armchair or under, and you'll lose it. So you want to move it with your leg into the corner of the room where it's going to be out of the way of everybody. And Mati Shabbos, you'll be able to come and pick it up. Doing that will be called tiltal begufoy. Now, why am I moving that 50 pence piece? I'm not moving it because 
I want the area with the 50 pence pieces because I don't really care about the floor space of where that 50 pence piece is. I'm moving that 50 pence piece because I want to preserve that 50 pence piece. So that's called the Tseirich Dabar Asa. According to the Mechaber, and that's how the Mishnah Baruch Hashem, that is 100% permitted. You can move a Muksa indirectly, but it's really directly moving it, but using an, an unusual manner, using a part of the body which is not normal for a person to actually use in, trans- in, in transporting an item from A to B, then that type of movement is permitted on Shabbos. It's 100% permitted. Even. You can't just do it for the sake of it. You can't walk around your front room kicking the fist playing football with a 50 pound speed piece. That you can't do. Because to move it for no purpose whatsoever is forbidden. It's not like a mutter object, a permitted object that I can actually do what I like with it. I can play football with, with a ball in my house, no problem, if my wife's not looking. And, and that's not a problem. I can move a, 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 a permitted object for no purpose at all on Shabbos. But I can't move, even with my leg, a Dabah Ha'asr for no purpose. But I can move it for a purpose, any purpose. If the purpose is because I want the space, if the purpose is I want to preserve that moksha item, that's 100% permitted. And that's called Tiltul Begufay, the Tayyip Dabah Ha'asr, that is 100% fine. If the person finds a wallet, for example, and left a wallet on the table, a wallet is, is almost definitely muksa machmas gufoy. We'll work through the different categories of muksa and different different examples of those muksas. But a wallet is almost definitely a wallet is a, an item which is used to store money, credit cards. All of those are muksa machmas gufoy. Uh, credit card we discussed briefly last week, two weeks ago, but they're probably all called muksa machmas gufoy. You need to get it off the table. Best method, as we as we're working through the, the different types of of moving, the best method is to move it with good voice. Can't move it with your hands because that's tilted, proper tilted, which is offset. There may be a, a second best method, which we'll discuss in a moment, but the best method would be to actually move it with your body. Move it with your body would mean take your nose, take it back to the elbow, and push it off the table, and when it's on the floor, give it a kick into the corner, or put it under the dressing table, put it somewhere, put it on the sideboard, so it's out of the way, and you know it's preserved for after shopping. There I'm doing two things. I want the space on the table. I don't want my wallet on the table on Shabbos because I want to put my Shabbos food etc. on the table and B, I want to preserve the wallet no problem if I find a stone on the table do the same thing somebody's left a stone on the table or you don't want to preserve the stone but I want the space on the table that, that's absolutely fine Muksa, which is moved this will be good point is 100% fine when it's necessary there is however one little drawback here which we have to put the, take into account there is a shit of ration simply that's what Rashi understands seems to say, and the Hadnish does follow with the opinion of Rashi that Tiltul Begufoy is not permitted. So even though we don't paskin like that, and we are makel, and we allow you to move something Begufoy, and it's probably the most ideal way of moving a muksa which is in the way, but that's only if you really need to. Don't need to do it, we don't do it. Therefore, just to kick around the room for no reason whatsoever, forbidden, because our shit is to say that you're not allowed to move Begufoy. That's the simplest way of getting around a, a scenario which we all come across, probably on a weekly basis, where Muksa is left lying around on Shabbos and we need to move it and find some way of repositioning it. Still, Subhagufa is the simplest way of moving a Muksa object. Next method of moving, now this is already one stage left. It doesn't have the same lenient parameters as Tiltubagufa does, slightly more stringent, and that's called Tiltu Kalachia. Tiltul Kalachiyad is a little bit more stringent than Tiltul Begufoy. Whereas Tiltul Begufoy, you're allowed to move a Muksa object 
for any purpose, as long as it's a purpose, for the purpose of the space, or for the purpose of preserving the muksa object, etc. Tilpul kilachiyad does not allow you to move just to preserve the object. That you can't move a muksa to look to preserve the muksa, but you can move the muksa if it's in the way. You can move the muksa if it's in the way. Now you're going to ask me, how do I get a case of kilachiyad? I made a mistake, sorry. Tilt Galakad is the same as Tilt Gufay. Sorry. Tilt Galakad is the same as Tilt Gufay. I can move it when necessary. So you're going to ask me what's the case of Tilt Galakad, which is not Tilt Gufay. Every time I'm going to do it with the back of my hand, I'm moving with part of my body, which is in an unusual way. And I find a very simple uh, example. You have a five pound note, or an old five pound note, or even a new one, on your tabletop. You want to blow it off. You want to blow it, blow it off the table onto the floor. Are you allowed to blow that five pound note off the table onto the floor? That's called tiltal kilakayat. I'm not actually using my body. I, I am moving it. I'm moving it in an unusual way. It's kilakayat. It's not in a normal normal way of moving. You don't normally move things by blowing them. You normally move things by lifting them up and transporting them from place A to place B. But if I move in an unusual way, that's again permitted if I need the space or if I need to preserve the item. To move it just for the, for the sake of moving, no, I can't do it. So, out of the five methods of moving an object from A to B, Tiltul the Gufoy and Tiltul are almost in the same category. Either because I'm using my body and that's not considered a normal method of Tiltul, that's not called moving, that's called being silly. And therefore Chazal never forbade a person to move from A to B unless it's in a normal manner of moving. Tiltul Kalachiyat goes into the same category. So they are, out of the four, there's really one subcategory of Tiltul Gufoy they don't have to be the Gufoy Kilachiyat can be even in a manner when it's not the Gufoy those are the, the first of the four well the first one was really moving it normally but out of the other four those are the, that's the first category two categories which is really one category of Tiltul Gufoy and Tiltul Kilachiyat the next category which we need to discuss is a little bit more complex and that's what we call Tiltul Minhaftar Tiltul Minhaftar and Neo and Shaking are, are the second category they are the second four second group of four they're the second group of four, but there's actually, even though they are in the same category, but there's a slight difference between Tiltul Minasad and Neil. So I'm going to give you an example that Chazal talk about when Chazal describes the, the, the concept of Tiltul Minasad. So it's not extremely relevant to us nowadays, but uh, it's, it's something which I think, by going back to the source, will give us a little bit better understanding of what's going on. So you can imagine you have in your house a, a wine cellar. In your wine cellar you've got barrels and barrels and barrels of wine. We discussed the Gemara just now in, in the sect of Brockers. A very interesting Gemara where the Gemara, there was an argument between uh, I think it was one of the Amorim and another, another one of, them, of the Amorim whether they should send the coastal Brocker to his wife, to Christa's wife. And in the end they decided that the right thing is not to send the coastal Brocker to his wife. And she got very annoyed and she went down to the wine cellar and she broke 400 barrels of wine. And he never lost his temper. And I, I'm only telling you that because I don't want to tell you the story because it's a very interesting story and maybe when we learn how to profit we'll discuss that. But, but I'm telling you the story to tell you that they had lots of barrels of wine in the cellar. There was lots and lots of wine. They would have wine cellars with enormous amounts of barrels of wine. Now, if you open a barrel of wine and you want to put the lid back on, you, you chop the lid off. So that's, you, you couldn't just open a barrel of wine. They didn't have uh, screw tops on the, on the barrels of wine. So you normally 
undo a seal or take a knife and cut through the top to, to enable the wine to be opened and be used. Now, you don't want to use the whole barrel in one go. You might if, you, if you're that way inclined. But uh, an average person wouldn't use a whole barrel in a go. And then put the lid back on, raise my loose, right? So if they weren't going to use it for a while, they'd reseal it. But if they weren't going to use it, they're going to use it very in, in, in a few days' time. It would just take a nice big stone, put it on top of the barrel. That way, the lid of the barrel would remain on and it would be preserved. Now, you come to Shabbos, you suddenly realize, hey, one second, I have a barrel of wine here, which I need to use for Kiddush. And I come down to my wine cellar to draw some wine from the barrel, and I find a big stone on there. Okay, we are now entering into a new complex area of Muxa, which I don't want to discuss today. And that's the, 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 the Halakha of Boxes, which is one of the categories of Muxa which we mentioned in the previous year. And a bosses really means a base. Anything which has muksa on it, then that actual item becomes a muksa as well. So that really complexes the, 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 the situation here a little bit beyond the scope of what we want to discuss today. So we're going to put that aside. But let's assume that this, he comes down to his cellar and he sees a stone on his barrel. And he never put the stone on his barrel. One of his workers put the stone on his barrel. Now, I can't make something which is not mine also. So it doesn't become a boxes. If I put a, a muksa item on your coat and you come out of shul and you see a muksa item there, you came Friday night before before Marib and before Mintanz and you put your hang your coat up and I come along and I hang an umbrella on top of your coat. Does that make your coat now a boxes so you can't move it? Also, of course not. I can't make your coat also. There's no way that I can actually turn something which is yours into something forbidden. I can't do that. I can't do that. And therefore, let's assume, let's for simple argument's sake, and we'll discuss bosses again when we get there. Just for argument's sake, that he comes down and he's completely shocked and he sees a barrel with a, 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 a stone on it holding the lid down and he's really annoyed and he goes upstairs and he starts storming around the, the, the servants' court. The witch servant, who put a, a stone on there? Look what you've done to me. It's Friday night now. How am I going to make Kiddush with a stone on my barrel? Now, he knows that it's not a bosses, but he can't remove the stone. The stone is muxa. A stone is muksa. You can't move a stone. End of story. You need it for whatever you need it for. A stone is muksa. So he's not allowed to take his hand, pick up that stone and put it aside because a stone is muksa. He's not stuck. So his servant says, I'm him. Uh, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but there are ways of removing that stone from the barrel of Shabbos to enable you to make Kiddush. And that's what we call tilko min hatzal. So, first thing that he needs to know is that in a situation like that, you want to remove that stone, best thing to do would be tip the barrel, stone falls off, and I've now done what's called a tiltul min hatsad. It's tiltul min hatsad because I've tipped it, but tiltul min hatsad means an indirect method of movement. I've not actually moved the stone directly, I've moved it indirectly via another item that's permitted for me to move. Then the stone gets slips off, I now can take the lid off my barrel and find, and draw my wine and go and make Kiddush. That's the, the ideal situation. That would be the ideal situation of tilting in the via what we call kneel, via a tipping, a tilting motion rather than a carrying motion. So I've removed a stone, a muksa object from interfering in, in my ability to draw my wine, I've removed that stone in a manner which is permitted called tilting in the now, however, if I've got 400 barrels of wine in my, in my wine cellar, and I'm going to take the, my barrel and I'm going to tilt it, and the stone's going to fall off, the chances are very high that what's going to happen to my stone is going to fall off and hit the barrel next door. 
And if my barrel is made out of earthenware, not made out of wood, and even if it's made out of wood, I'm risking cracking or breaking another barrel of wine. I do not want to do that. So in that, that scenario, tilting is not the answer. Tilting is not, I don't have that option because the other barrels are too valuable to me to allow me to tilt the original barrel with a stone on top. So here comes the second stage of tilt forming up top, which is I'm then allowed to lift up the barrel with the stone on it, move it to a place where there's no more barrels, tilt it, and let it come off. But I'm only allowed to do either of those two movements, the, one, the, first, the first option of near or tilting it, or the second option where necessary to actually move the muksa object from A to B via a permitted object, lifting it up and putting it down, but not actually lifting up the forbidden object, lifting up the permitted object only when I need the item, with the permitted item, or the space of the item, or, or the space underneath the muksa item, then I can do it. But if I have, I come down and I, on my wine barrel I see a diamond, which is muksa because they have no value, it's muksa machnus kiss shouldn't be there. Now what do I do? I want to remove that diamond, not because I want to get to the wine. I don't need that wine. I've got another barrel of wine which is open just, just next to just adjacent to it. But I don't want to leave my diamond down there because, you know, there's other workers in the house and there are risks. So I want to be able to lift the barrel and take the diamond to somewhere a bit more secure and tip it into a secure place and then lock the safe wherever it may be. That's forbidden. On Shabbos to move Tiltul Minatsad or Neil for the sake of preserving the item which is forbidden, that is awesome. So, in the first type of movement which we discussed this evening, Tiltul Begufoy, Tiltul Begufoy, we allowed you to actually move Begufoy, a muksa item, whether you need the space under the, the muksa item, or whether you want to preserve the actual muksa item itself, we allowed you to move it Begufoy or Kilachiyad, when it comes to Tiltul Minhatsal, when it comes to kneel or tiltum in tipping it or moving it indirectly through an, a permitted object, that's only permitted where I actually need the space underneath the muksa item. But I cannot move it for the purpose of the muksa item itself. Is that clear? maybe to move it to Gufoy, but it, we're assuming that the, the stone is either too heavy or there's a, a lip around the barrel or whatever, maybe it's difficult to actually move away. So let's give us an example today where most of us don't have wine cellars. If you have a wine cupboard, it usually doesn't have much mucks in it and, and it wouldn't really affect us or take a different bottle of wine to open. But where it could be, could be, which is very plausible, because you come to your bed or you go to the armchair and you find that one of the children, grandchildren, next door neighbors, whoever it may be, has left a mutsa object on the armchair and you just want to sit down. And the last thing you want to do is take a massive, I don't know what, I don't know what could be mutsa, I just think of some big electronic item. And you don't really want to move it begufoy because by moving it begufoy it's going to fall on the floor and it's going to break. And you don't want to tip your armchair up because it's going to it's going to break. So if you're big enough, if I put on a, a cushion on the armchair, then you can pick up the cushion of the armchair and move it to somewhere and put it down. That's fine. That will be fine. This is a, a scenario that can happen quite common. 
you come upstairs to your bedroom and you find on your bed that, that somebody's left a muksa object on the bed. Now, we're talking about a real muksa object. Let's talk about a wallet, because that's the simplest case of a real muksa object. He's left a real muksa object on your bed, and you want to go to bed now, and there's a muksa object in your bed. And you don't want to kick it off the bed for whatever reason it may be. What do you do? In that scenario, you'll be allowed to pick up the quilt, take it somewhere, tip it into, tip it out into somewhere safe, and put your... Now, because I'm moving the muksa object not because I want to preserve the muksa object, but because I want the space where the muksa object is. I don't want to go to bed with a, a wallet there. You know, I'm not sleeping with a wallet in your bed. I have nightmares. So I, I want to move my, my muksa object for the space, not, where, not for the sake of the muksa object. In that case, it's 100% permitted to move the muksa object by lifting up the quilt and then tipping it, tilting it into, spinning it out into a, spinning out into a, designated area, designated space, so you have to leave it over the shoulders, and that would be called Kukul Minasa. Not if the person put it there had no right to put it there. Then you have a problem. You can sleep on the bed, you can, you can sleep on them. We're going to discuss them. So let's, let's, let's move on. Sorry, I'm sorry. Is it, is it relevant to what we're saying? Go on, go on, go on. Yes. You do need the space. Yeah, you need the space of w- of the. This is a very interesting discussion. We will discuss this when we talk about muksa machmas. We're talking about muksa machmas gufoi, and we're going to discuss. We'll therefore get there today. The different different reasons why I need to move something. That's a, a, a different area of muksa, which is not quite directly relevant to this. Uh, it is a little bit relevant, but it's more relevant to Muxa Mahmoud Gufa, which is what your case is. Your case is a telephone, which is Muxa Mahmoud Gufa. It has the purpose of a alarm clock, so it has a dual purpose to it. I can't consider it purely Muxa, right? And they're not expensive today telephones. Um, I'm sure yours wasn't a smart uh, no. Samsung uh, or iPhone or anything like that. I'm pretty sure not. Uh, and therefore, it's not Muxa Mahmoud Gufa in case, so it can be moved to the Surf Gufa Mekome. You're asking me what's called Gufa Mekome. We will discuss that next we have that same problem, can I move a fan because it's blowing in my face? And I want to move it and then push it around so it's not blowing in my face. Or if I have a, a Shabbos lamp, uh, not, the, not the, the, the newest Shabbos lamp for shot, very little problems of muksa, can I, of, of, there's no fire there, it's all LEDs, can I move that because it's shining in my eyes and even when I shut it, does it shut properly or whatever the, the scenario may be? That's the discussion we'll discuss when we talk about muksa muksa. And I've lost track, where were we talking about now? We were talking about, right, we were talking about the uh, token and that stuff, go on. And I just have to before, when we said about the uh, story, you know, money, yes. you need the wine or yes. kids, yes. I wouldn't be in the midst of kiddies, no. but I would be in the midst of kiddies. Of course. Of course, 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 of but don't carry it through the street. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, another example of where this is important is uh, some people, um, we've always done it, but some people are scared to do that, but we're at home, we've always done that. We always light our candles on the Shabbos table. See them very much with us. Candles have to be lit on the Shabbos table. That's not why we do it. We just did it for convenience, because uh, for the first uh, 15 years of our married life, we probably had no sideboard to put it on, so we left it on the table, and it was 
and, and that's where it stays. And Baruch Hashem, it's, it's been, it's worked fine. So you have your candlesticks on the table, and your table's not a box. So we'll, again, we'll discuss how you make sure your table's not a box another time, not today. But we're talking about a scenario where your table's not a box. And uh, the next day, you, uh, for some reason or other, you need to move the table out of the room to make space. Can I pick up the table and move it to the other room, or move it to the side of the room to create the space? You're having a brisk there the next morning, and you want to move the, 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 the table to the side, and you don't, can't have it in the middle of the room. Am I allowed to move the table? Now, when I move the table, I will be moving the candlesticks. That's what we call tiltul min hatsad, which is not there for the purpose of... I'm not moving it for the purpose of the candlesticks. I'm moving it because I want the space where the table is. So I'm moving it. I can't tip the table because if I tip the table, I'll damage my. I'm not. Chazal never asked us to damage our candlesticks in order to get round a tiltum and asad, to have a preferable way of moving it rather than the second best way of moving it. Chazal said, no, you're not machuk to put yourself in a situation of damage. Move it, pick up the table, and move. Absolutely fine. Another example of that, and then we'll come back to, to uh, an, another case which is uh, interesting, which you might not realize, is considered tiltum and asad, would be. Sorry? Because it's tiltum min asad. I'm moving. I'm picking up a table, no nothing wrong. Like I'm picking up the barrel with the stone on it. If you need the space where the muksa item is, you're allowed to move it in tiltum min asad indirectly through. Another object. That's fine. You're getting involved now with, with bosses. I don't want to discuss bosses. We're talking about where the candlesticks were not a bosses. Okay, it's not a bosses. Can I move my table? And the answer is yes. If I need the space for the table, I can move my table. If you want to move your table because you've got your grandchildren or your neighbor's children coming around and you're worried that the bull's going to knock your candlestick, then you can't move your table. Because then I'm moving it for the sake of the double offer. That's forbidden. But I can move it if I want the space. I need, there's going to be lots of people coming in. I want to make a five-a-side pitch. And I can take my table, move it to the side, and no problem at all. I don't have to tip it if it's going to cause damage. And where we find another scenario, even a bigger finish than that, is that a lot of tells us, if you have a plate of meat, for example, you have a plate of meat which you're about to bring to the table, and then for some, some unknown reason, somebody's dropped a, a muksha item into the plate of meat. Somebody dropped a, a five-pence piece into the plate of meat, or, or a stone, or, or, or you know, it could be even a, a peach pit, right? So you you, you made your, your plate of meat and you put uh, uh, I don't know some some peaches around the edges because they make it look nice. Uh, don't ask me if it does look nice. It doesn't look nice. I have no idea. And by mistake, uh, the the pit, which is muksa because it has no value anymore, landed on the on the platter. Now you can't take the pit out because it's muksa. So what do you do? So what do you do? It's very interesting here, I'll tell you as follows. If you can tip the plate without risking your meat, without risking your meat, and drop that stone off, then fine, do that. If you can't, take the platter to the table, just tell them it's new fashion to have a, 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 a peach pip inside, or whatever it is, and serve it that way. And there's no problem. Why? Because it's tilted in outside, and moving a muksa item indirectly via another item, for the purpose of something which is permitted, because I want to serve my meat. Absolutely fine. Now you're looking at me and you're saying, maybe Chazal should have said, go and get yourself another platter, and move the meat over to another plate. Say Chazal, no. Since there's a risk when I move my meat from plate A to plate B, that a piece of meat might drop, it's quite a far-fetched risk. But there's an element of risk there, 
that doesn't obligate me therefore to do that to prevent me from moving in, in a muksa object through tiltum and asad. Tiltum and asad allows me to move a muksa object indirectly through another item if I'm moving it the surface of a muta and there's some element of reason why I want to do that. And if the reason why I want to do that is because I want to make sure that I don't lose any of my meat inadvertently when I'm transferring it from one place to the other. Or it might fall, fall to pieces if I move it from one place to the other, which is very common. It's on the plate, it's all neat. You start lifting it up and try moving it to another place, it'll all fall apart. Our meat is really good, it holds really nicely, our meat is really good meat. So, <coughs> you're not supposed to do that. Therefore, I'm allowed to take a platter with my fist inside, with my stone in it, with my fence. You're going to have a job explaining the new fashion of the five times feet. But with that, and serve it, no problem. No problem at all. Tilt them in a sad, the prayer, Baba Amuta, and there's an element of, of reason why I can't remove the motor or remove the Issa, no problem. No problem. Another scenario of Tiltum in Assad, another scenario of Tiltum in Assad is if you wore your Shabbos clothes for a chasna, it's more relevant to men than for women, but if you wore your Shabbos clothes to a chasna, and of course when you go to chasna, you must take some money with you, so when the shul, Achmatis Kalei, come around and ask you for some money, you don't have sitting there embarrassedly saying, I don't have any money, so you put a couple of pounds in your pocket. For some reason, you were out of the room when Achmatis Kalei came around, and you still got that couple of pounds left in your pocket. And it comes Shabbos, and you want to put your jacket on Shabbos morning, and you realize there's two pounds left in your pocket. Now that's not called the bosses, because you never intended to leave it at the Shabbos. You forgot all about it, you didn't even know it was there. You completely forgot. So now what do I do here? So, so in this scenario, that tipping it out would be tiltul minasad. But it's tiltul minasad, l'tayr, for the need of something which is permitted. So I'll be allowed to take my jacket, tip my jacket on the floor, etc. If I can't tip it, because I don't, I don't want two pound coins rolling around my front and floor, or rolling around my whole floor, and I'll be allowed to move the jacket to an a-, a safer area and tip it out there. That will be tilkum in atad, the surface of our mutter, and that's fine. It's just one area of halakha which you must be aware. That chazal forbade us in a scenario like that to actually wear the jacket, even inside our house. Not because of mukta, because for mukta, and that may be considered tilkum in atad, but because well, they were worried that people in a don't remember what they've got in their pocket. They don't really know what they've got in their pocket, and therefore they would, he, the person wearing that jacket could inadvertently go out into a shusarabim and carry it in a shusarabim. So Hazal said, do not wear it in the house until the muksa item has been removed. So then, you'd have to move it to a safe area, tip it out, tip it out where you are, and you'll be able to wear it through there. Now I want to share with you one case of Tilgum and Asad that you might find actually very strange, but when you think about it, it's a real case of Tilgum and Asad. Your grandchild came along, or your child, or your next door neighbor, or you yourself, by mistake, spilt the, because, you know, we all have a jar of coins in our house, right, a little box of coins, and everybody's got a little, little piggy bank, or got pennies, and five pence, and ten pences, and by mistake, you knocked it on the floor, child. So the place is strewn with ten pence pieces. Now, you don't care that it's there, because nobody's come to visit you, this shop, and it doesn't bother you. But, you just don't want them to get lost. So you came up with a brilliant idea. You went to your, your broom cupboard, you took out your broom, and you swept the floor. And you took all, you swept all the coins into the corner, and you've now preserved the coins for, you've now preserved the coins for, for much last Shabbos. That is a case of Tiltal Min Hatsad, which is also, unless I'm sweeping it because I want the space, that will be mutter. If I'm sweeping it to preserve the coins, 
I'm sweeping, which seems to be a, a normal action for us. It seems to be a natural. Uh, you, you've got coins around the floor. I want, I want to so take a broom and sweep them. Tiltal min hatsad. That's a case of tiltal min hatsad. I'm moving those coins via a, another permitted object. The broom is a permitted object. I'm moving it via a permitted object. But if I'm moving it for the sake of the coins, to preserve those coins, that's the say of Baba Asa, that would be Asa. If I'm moving it because I want the space in my kitchen or my dining room or my hall, wherever they are, then that would be finished. Well, that's the case of Tiltal min hatsad. If it's dangerous and you can sit it again, then you want the space. No, for sure. I'll give you one more practical example of Hilton Minotaur. And this is uh, something that Samazam discusses, it's extremely practical. Uh, you have on our key rings a car key and a house key. And you can't find any of the other keys. That's extremely funny because this one's gone out with one set and that one's gone out with another set. And, and, and your, your visitor, you gave a set to the other week and you went back to stroll with it. So you've got no other set of keys around, and you come Friday night, and you want to lock up, and you suddenly realize the only, the only front door key you have is a front door key that has on its key ring a car key and a house key. Now a car key is 100% muksa, because it serves no purpose other than driving a car. So completely muksa, that's if you have a car with a key. If you have a, carless, a keyless car, then you're okay. But if you have a, a, a car like, like, like most of us, a car with a, with a, a key, a car that needs a key to drive, and you have it on, your, on the same keyring as your house key, then what do you do here? I have a problem. I have a keyring with a car key, which is muksa, a house key which is permitted. What do I do? So now here is a case of tiltal minhatab, the tseyuch, dovah I need to move my keyring with the muksa on it and with the non-muksa key on it because I want the non-muksa key to go and lock my front door. That will be a case of tiltum in the No problem. You'll pick up the key through the permitted key, holding the permitted key or the keyring, and you'd move walk to your front door, you put your permitted key in the front door, the front door key in the door, and you lock the door, and it's absolutely fine. Because that's tiltum in the sayer However, to, to try and undo the car key and remove it from your... That's awesome. That would be awesome. It, logically, that might actually be the most sen- sensible thing to do. Let's take the car key off. That would be awesome. Because by taking the car key off, you're actually moving in a normal manner a double muksa, something which is muksa. Awesome. You have a problem. If you need to, you need to go out, and that's, that's a different problem. How are you going to get your shovel bulb onto your, onto your car key when the car key is muksa? You can't got a problem. Sorry? No, you'd have to put, you'd have to hook both keys and you can't because one of them hooks up. If, if you can remove the household key by holding the ring without moving the, without touching the, uh, the car key, then that will be okay. That'll be fine. I suppose it would depend what type of key, what type of key ring you had. It's an easy start, and then that will be fine. That will be fine. A similar scenario, and then we'll finish. A similar scenario would be if you have a child holding someone which is muksa. A child holding someone which is very common, and you want to get the child to bed. And the only way that child is going to go to bed is if you pick the child up and take him to bed. You're being metalical of Dava Muksa. 
So again, here, I'd only be allowed to move that child if there's a sayer for the child. So I need to get the child a bit. But the child's holding Muxa. He's holding, uh, I don't know, uh, a Game Boy. You know what they call these uh, electronic. Muxa, 100%. So now what do you do? You can't take it away from him, it's Muxa. You can't step it off him, it's Muxa. So, so, so you start screaming him, you start stepping him outside the back door because you want to tell you want him to make sure that he puts it down. Also, it's also because of Chinuch is also anyway. But Misad has the Shabbos is also because you're moving him. Let's say the dog also because there I want the barrel, so I'm moving it for the sake of the barrel. But here I want him to put it down. I don't. I want him to put the thing down. I want this thing not to be played on Shabbos by him. I don't want him to have this thing because. I want to put, that would be Oscar. If I need to get him to bed, and the only way I can get him to bed is by stepping up there, he needs to go to bed. That would be the say of the child. That would be permitted. There's no difference between a light child and an uh, inanimate object when you're talking about filtering or Sorry? Now who's going to help you to shock the child? He won't drop it. He's holding it. He's not even going. He's not even going. He found a five pound note on your kitchen floor. He's not going to leave go so fast. He, no, I'm sorry, it's a five pound note. I'm not bucking. What do you do? Can you hold his hand and walk with him? So then that slightly depends. There are some opinions who hold it. If he's holding money, you're not allowed to actually hold his hand and walk with him. If he's holding a normal mux object, you can hold his hand and walk with him. Because that's fine. He's walking himself. But he's holding money, he will worry, and he'll drop the money, and then the father will run and pick it up and shove So, money's money. Five pound notes, five pound notes. It's a lot of money. Uh, let's talk about the times of money it was worth money. It was a hundred pound, fifty pound notes. Or he had a wad of fifty pound notes. And, and you're going to start holding his hand and from walking with him, and then he might leave go, and you'll run quickly to pick out the money because you want to preserve the money. Because so, in, in that scenario, there are, there are those who say you're not even allowed to hold his hand and walk with him because there's a risk. That you'll run after you, you, you might come to pick up the the, the muxa item, the muxa money. What do you do? You're offering to buy him a, a brand new 18 racer bike if you put that lot of money back where he found it, and then he'll put it back. And then you negotiate with him after. And you don't say that the Rob said you should do that either. You have to use a bit of intuition and initiative and a bit of genius idea off the wall. Off from a chocolate, you might be very happy. There's many, you're going to have to use a bit of flexibility here. But moving the mux object, that, that brought us to, to a rough, very brief understanding of the different methods of moving a muxa item on Shabbos. A few different method, methods of moving, moving a muxa item. Muxa, a muxa item which is moved by or Kilachayad is permitted even the Muksa item, but not for no purpose at all. A Tiltman Asad or a Neo, if we have the op- option of just tilt it, t- tipping it and allowing it to fall to the floor, that's the preferable option. If not, you can even do Tiltman Asad, actually lift a permitted item and move the Muksa item with that permitted item and then transfer it somewhere wherever you want it. But only if it's the sayer a dollar mutter, only if it's for the need of something which is permitted, not for the sake of something which is also. And then you, I'll give you just some very brief 
examples. You can use your imagination. Each one in their own home has different scenarios and different situations where you will see a, a number of these situations will come up. And the cases I gave you may not be relevant to you, but you will have to try and, and compare the cases that were discussed to the scenarios that you will come across in your own home to see if which, which category they fall into and which tilter would be permitted and which tilter would be permitted. Uh, let me just share with you a very small vlog uh, on this week's Sedra, Pasha Toldis. In this week's Sedra, the story of Yaakov and Esau and the brokers, Yitzchak giving the brokers to Yaakov and uh, Esau getting upset, etc. Um, the brokers which Yaakov gave to Yaakov were primarily brokers which enabled Yaakov to overcome Esau. So these were brokers which would enable Yaakov to rise above and beyond, to rise above, above and beyond Esau. The Medrash tells us that the brokers that Yitzchak gave Yaakov were ten. Ten brokers corresponding, the Medrash says this, corresponding to the Asara Mamorish and Like the world was created with ten Mamoris. Nine times in the, in the beginning of, in the beginning of Sefer Barishas, in the parasha of the, the creation of the world, it says the word Vayemet. And then Chazal Tadav's is also part of that. So we now have ten Mamoris, ten expressions of HaKadosh Baruch with regards to the creation of the world. They are the source of the creation of the world. The brachas that Yitzchak gave Yaakov were also ten to correspond to those ten Mamoris. Now, of course, if it corresponds, it means it has to be in the same, in the same understanding, within the same, within the same context as the ten. I, I don't want to go through the brachas and how they correspond to the ten Mamoris, because that's not what I want to show you. But why did, why did Yitzchak give ten brachas which correspond to the ten Mamoris? Why didn't you just give him a brocha? You know, be strong and be good and be a good boy and this brocha will shower you brockers. Why did he give him ten? In fact, what's interesting is, is the, the brocha starts If you take the word tal, the numerical value of the word tal, you take the numerical value of the word shomayim, you'll see that tal is a tenth of the of the numerical value of Shemaim. Tal is 39, Shemaim is 390. You now end up with a 10. He gave him 10 brothers. 10 brothers, the 10, the 10 created elements of the world, that's what he gave him. The Tal HaShemaim, the 10th of the Shemaim, which is the 10 created elements of the world, that's what Yaakov gave him. That's what Yitzhak gave Yaakov. But what we see from here is something unbelievable. We see that in order for Yaakov to be able to overcome Esau, in order for him to be able to stand up to Esau, and be the Yaakov that, that, that will enable the HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Torah to come to this world and Kalishol to be Kalishol, he has to be a Yaakov, not just in some parts of the world, he has to be a Yaakov in every aspect of the physical world. So Yitzchak gave him a bracha, ten brachas, that each of the ten Mamoris, meaning each of the physical elements of the world that were created through the Asara Mamoris, should be a spiritual world. A spiritual world of Yaakov, and only then can he, can he stand up to Esau. If he leaves one element of the physical world to physicality and doesn't trans- turn that into something spiritual, then he's allowed a, a, a Pesach, he's allowed a door for Esau to get in there. And for Esau, once Esau has a door, the Pesach happens. Once Esau has one little opening that he can enter into, then we're doomed. And that is the, the bracha that he gave Yaakov. So I just want to have to realize, in order for us to overcome the Umus Olam, in order for us to, to persevere and, and prevail through Golos, we have to make sure that every aspect of our life, every aspect of Olam has that all tense, it's all Tayyar. All kind of parts of Tayyar. Yaakov is Tayyar. It's all Tayyar. If it's all Tayyar, then Esau doesn't stand a chance. Esau has no ability to in any way inflict 
any sort of damage from Kalishol when we're enabled, when we're allowed, when we return every aspect of this world into, into spirituality. Chasvishol, one aspect lost, and Esau has, has power. Ten brothers to Yaakov, and that's what enabled Yaakov to overcome Esau. We should see the end of Golos. We should be able to have the ten brothers, we should be able to turn the, the, the brothers into, into reality. We'll be there to see the Vietnam go over Corrid. I'm here, we may not remain. Thank you very much. Have a good night.